Hello, Husky fans, and welcome to another episode of the UConn Pod. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm here with Dan Connolly and Dan Madigan. We have a lot to talk about with the start of fall sports, men's soccer, women's soccer going on. The football team made its season debut. Uh, so uh, to kick things off, Connolly, why don't you give us our first uh, soccer update of the season? Yeah, so both the soccer teams have started their years and uh, have both had home openers. So I'll, I guess I'll start with women's soccer because they've played more. So they've already had four games on the season. They're two, one, and one. Two wins, one loss, one draw. Um, they look a lot better than they did last year. And really, that's not saying a whole lot because they really were pretty bad last year, but they're already halfway to last year's win total. They haven't played any great competition, but I mean, Providence is a, usually a pretty solid Big East program. Central only lost two games last year and almost upset Georgetown in the NCAA tournament, and they tied them. But that's the only result they've gotten against those two teams. They took care of business against a pretty bad Fairfield team who was basically playing like a U10 soccer team and just kind of swarming around the ball on defense. And then against Colgate, they had a pretty bad first half and then out of the gate in the second half, turned it around and were able to get a win. They got Kessel Moore back from her ACL injury last year. She's played for the English uh, women's national team, like U20 teams. She missed the World Cup because the U20 World Cup because of that ACL injury, but she's just far and away the best offensive player that UConn has. And with the attacking like five players that UConn's put out there, they've kind of been rotating around. So there's no like definite position for any one person or where they're going to be in any given moment. There's a lot of movement and fluidity to the offense. And Elmore's pretty solid as a, a striker, a center forward, but then they moved her outside and she was just absolutely torching Colgate along the wing, just sending in crosses just creating all sorts of havoc. I mean, they won 2-1, but it really easily could have been 4-1, 5-1. They had plenty of chances that they just couldn't get, and it still needs a little chemistry up front. That's still a bit of an issue. They've had some injuries up there, nothing too serious, but so that's still going to work itself out. But the probably the most encouraging sign is uh, in goal. Randy Palacios is a redshirt junior. She was the main starter last year, but struggled pretty much the whole year. She was a big reason the Huskies were one of the weaker defensive teams in the country, but her turnaround this year has been pretty incredible. She's just taken a huge step over the offseason. She's much more confident coming out for balls. Her distribution seems to have gotten a lot better. She seems to get herself in better in better positions when shots are coming in. So They've got the stud freshman, Kelsey Kohler, that came in last year and redshirted that from everyone that I've heard is supposed to be really, really good. And Palacios is starting over her just because of the way she's playing. So that says a lot about how well Palacios is playing. And that's kind of shored up the entire defense because through four games, they've only allowed four goals, which and have one shutout, have only allowed one goal the last two games. So last year's team was just leaking goals. They were giving up a lot of soft goals, and they've, they've 
pretty much stopped that. It, the other teams are having to earn the goals and they've used the same five players on defense every single game, four backs and a center defender. And aside from some injuries that have hit, that's been their crew. And that was a problem last year's. Rodri- the defense was so bad that Rodriguez was having to just m- try and throw different ideas at defense and see if any of them worked. Whereas this year they have something that they can go with and it's working. So switching over to the men, they had their season opener on Friday against Ryder. They also had an exhibition at Uhart against BU. They look good. Last year's team was really good, but obviously the story of their entire season was going down or being tied most of the game. And then the last 10 minutes, just pulling out some magic and winning the game. This year's team seems like it's, going to be playing on the front foot a little more. They've got a transfer from Rutgers, Jordan Hall, who he was a first team all big 10 player last year. Now he's coming to UConn and he looks really, really good. He's super talented with the ball at his feet. He can head the ball really well. His second, he scored both goals against Ryder. His second goal was off a cross that came in and it wasn't really a great cross. He kind of had to angle his body weird and he was able to flick it over the goalkeeper in it was a really tough play to make in the air. So he's going to be really, really dangerous up top. Ibrahim Ajope, who was the star of the NCAA tournament, went over Rhode Island scoring a hat trick in I think it was like 25 minutes to win that game. He looks much better this year. And then they've got another Senegal player. They've had two every year that I've been in college. Musa Wade, he's kind of playing like a setter mid-roll. He doesn't look anything like a freshman. He's already a stud for them right there really solid with their distribution obviously reed likes to go up the wings to attack but wade's a really nice piece to have in the middle to kind of get it out wide or to catch the defense napping and try to put it over the top and then the defense returns a lot of guys and then they've also got two transfers coming in one from louisville ziad fekri he's their starting left back and then jake dangler from loyola was the is now one of the starting center backs. That's a really solid group. The only thing they have to look out for is they've been caught up a little too high a couple times. So they've other teams have had not success because they haven't scored, but there's been some dangerous chances on balls that go over the top that someone fast on the other team can get behind. But other than that, they should be just as good, if not better than last year. And last year's team, I think, got close, if not in the top 10 in RPI at one point. So last year's team was really good before kind of a late year slide. But um, yeah, it's looking like it's going to be another or a much better year this year, like last year, as opposed to the two years previous where they missed the NCAA tournament. And Dan, can you remind us where are they uh, playing their home games this year and why? Yeah. So at the end of last year, they tore down Moroni stadium, obviously that entire area at, UConn, if you know it, the Athletics District, as they're going to be calling it, is undergoing just a complete turnaround. They're building a new baseball stadium, soccer stadium, performance center, softball stadium, practice field, and eventually the new hockey rink's going to be in that area too. So with the way the project is going, they're building all the stadiums at once, but the plan was made so that baseball is not going to have to move off campus in theory, if all goes to plan, which you never know in Connecticut with construction. But so baseball is moving behind the ice rink, Fritas, 
um, like where the soccer practice field is now, if you know where that is. So because it wasn't in the same location as where the current baseball field is, they were able to start building that before baseball season ended. So the plan is that baseball is not going to go off campus. And by the time UConn's ready to play at home next year, that stadium is going to be ready. So that's been the priority, which means soccer's a little lower on the list. So nothing's even started with that. So they didn't have a home on campus this year. And the men's team has been the most attended team in the country the last two years. So it's not like some programs where you could stick some bleachers on the football practice field and that would be more than enough seating. You need a stadium with a few thousand seats. So the first two games, they've been at Almarzuk Field at the University of Hartford. It's a little small for the men's team. Um, it's a nice size for the women's team. It feels a much more intimate with the women playing there because the stands fill up a lot more. But it works. It's nothing special, but after these two games, they're going to move to Dillon Stadium where Hartford Athletics playing. It's a 5,500-seat stadium, brand new. It just opened in July. It's supposed to be really nice. I haven't been to it yet. But I think that's going to be a really interesting place for UConn to play because they're getting really good attendance out at stores. So in theory, it's going to be a lot easier for people to get to Hartford to come to games. So I'm interested to see if their attendance is still going to be as good as it has been historically with it in a better location for fans to get to, even if it's a little bit tougher for students to get to. But um, another factor in that is neither team really has a great non-conference schedule. The men have some solid opponents. They play URI on Tuesday, but that's at Rhode Island. They play Georgetown, but that's at Georgetown. USF is always a solid team in the American. That's away. Syracuse is away. Uh, their best game at home is probably against UCF. UCF has knocked them out of the conference tournament the last two years in heartbreaking fashion. So that's going to be one that the team probably has circled on the schedule, but it's not like past years where they had like a Maryland or a Notre Dame on the non-conference schedule, which is a little disappointing, but at the same time, it makes sense because they're not on campus. And then the women, the women really don't have anything going for them. The non-conference schedule is pretty much just made up of local schools, BU, Harvard, Brown, UMass, Lowell, no big opponents coming in from elsewhere, like Rutgers or something. Um, and then in the conference slate, the directional Floridas are always some of the better teams, and those are away. The best home games probably against SMU. They always give them a tough fight. So that's October 13th. That's probably the biggest one, but obviously it's still early, and we don't really know what the teams look like, but just as an early guess, SMU for the women and then UCF for the men are the big games. What's the date on that UCF game? UCF is on a Sunday, October 20th at 7 p.m. Hmm. October 20th. Big day for the conflict rivalry. Um, <laughs> so sounds like sounds like women's soccer, I mean, you know, year two, new head coach. Um, it's something where clearly there was a big rebuild that went on last year given everything that went on. So kind of understandable everything that's going on with them that you just explained. And then men's soccer, uh, reason for hope for, for that, for an NCAA tournament bid, you feel? Yeah. I mean, I think the baseline should be an NCAA tournament bid. I think they should be hosting 
one, if not multiple games in the NCAA tournament. And I think they really should be competing for the conference title. I mean, they even last year, they underwhelmed with their, they underwhelmed with their performance and they still hosted a game in the NCAA tournament. So it's UConn soccer. Historically, that should be just the bare minimum. All right. Well, that's your soccer update for this week. Let's take a quick ad break and then we'll talk about the Husky season opener and outlook for week two. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Randy Etzel's UConn Huskies got their season started with Wagner on Thursday night. The Huskies were able to escape with victory, 24-21. It did have to kind of come down to those final minutes there, even they, even though they were, in my opinion, dominating at the beginning. Um, uh, Madigan, you were there in the stands. Uh, what was uh, what was kind of the sense of like fan sentiment during and after that game? Yeah, I think it's kind of just a tale of two seasons. Um, I, I think just based on last year, it was kind of easy to see a path where they would blow that game or, you know, have Wagner come down and tie it up. But um, this season, I mean, for for – you know, the first three-ish quarters, two-and-a-half quarters uh, of this game, UConn was in control and kind of dominated the whole way through. There wasn't really anything surprising. Uh, I know the scoreboard seemed, you know, would tell a different story at times, but UConn was really in control for most of that game because the defense stepped up. So that's really the biggest difference between this year and last year, right, is that the defense was, you know, historically awful last year and now seems to be at least somewhat competent. So, It'll be interesting to see how that goes when they take on a real FBS team against Illinois next week. But um, I think people wanted to see, I know Mike Anthony wrote a column saying that they wanted a big blow, you know, UConn needed to blow out Wagner to win this game. But um, I think squeaking out a win and just kind of having the defense kind of locked down and show that they've improved uh, is good enough to kind of build up some morale, some momentum for the rest of the season. Right. I mean, the, the mere fact that they made stops and, and started the game with all of those stops and three and outs, um, that was a sign of tremendous progress from, from last year when even the FCS team they played was moving the ball and scoring at will. So, um, I mean, I guess the, and then, you know, just to look at the point total, obviously a pick six really, really harms the way everything looks in this whole thing. And then, the impact that has with Wagner of, of making them feel like this game is within reach. Um, even though from a production perspective, they really had no business being in that game. UConn had multiple drives over six, uh, over 50 yards that, that didn't end with points, unfortunately. And, and uh, just a couple of really costly turnovers, including Mike Beaudry's uh, new starting quarterback, Mike Beaudry's, um, interception return for a touchdown overall though Connolly, what did you think about Beaudry's performance in his UConn debut I thought for 
just the standard of general college quarterbacks and especially the standard of UConn quarterbacks. He was perfectly fine. He's not going to compete for a conference player of the year award, but in an offense that's definitely going to be dominated by the running game, I think he's going to be more than capable of leading the offense. He can, he seemed like he could make the throws that were there within roughly like 20 yards he doesn't have a ton of arm strength to kind of zip it in and get it in tight spaces or throw it deep. And that accuracy seemed to wane as it got further down the field. But I mean, obviously that pick six was a really, really bad decision, but that felt like the only bad decision he had on the night. Otherwise he kept it pretty safe with his throws and he, he's going to be able to get the job done with what the defense gives him. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be capable of winning games on his own, like if, like David Pindell would have if he had any sort of a functional defense. But, I mean, it's you can't ask for too much out of a quarterback, as we know. And if the defense can just, like you said, get stops on occasions and just give the offense a chance, I think he's going to be able to help the offense go down there and score points. And I mean, the fact you couldn't really tell that he was throwing to guys who had never really played before. I mean, there weren't a whole lot of times where he dropped back and there was really nothing there. And it seemed like people were kind of saying that he wasn't super mobile, but he looked pretty good running the ball. I mean, he had like a 15 yard gain at one point. He blew someone up going into the end zone on that touchdown. So I'm okay with the first performance. I wasn't blown away, but at the same time, I'm not disheartened by it. So, like, I don't know, shrug. It's he was fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still high on him overall. I think biggest thing to keep in mind is that that was his first, you know, live game action. Uh, basically, since 2017, he played one game in 2018 before he got injured and missed the whole season. So. Uh, it's going to take some time for him to get back into the swing of things, especially with a young receiving group and, you know, a new school, new offense, a better level of football. So I think he's definitely going to take, there's a little bit more of a learning curve with him than we may have originally expected. Um, but I think he's going to be solid. I think he's definitely different than Pendel, Dan, like you said, uh, but he can definitely, you know, use his legs to get a few yards here and there, extend plays, extend drives. And I think it's really all you can ask for, but, I was pretty intrigued with his relationship with Matt, Matt Drayton, uh, one of the pre- true freshman wide receivers, five receptions for 51 yards, including a 21-yard reception. Um, seemed like they had good chemistry, and I know Drayton had an interview on the UConn website, and you know he was kind of talking about some of the stuff that he's worked on this season, so or so far this season. So I think that's going to be something to watch going forward, just to see if they kind of continue to have that rapport. But uh, I, I think. He's in good shape. Uh, Beaudry's in good shape to be, a, you know, a decent quarterback, and it'll be interesting to see how, as he progresses and gets more comfortable, if he continues to throw a little bit more. He only had 21 attempts. Um, I could see him probably getting up to 25, maybe 30 in some games, depending on the conditions. Um, but like you said, Dan, it's going to be run-oriented this year, and between Mensa and Art Tompkins, they have a pretty good running back duo that should do a lot of damage against pretty much any any team on their schedule. Yeah, I think it's a good point you bring up about just given the circumstances, everything where, you know, his first action in a couple of years, 
he's moving up a level, uh, even though this was an FCS team, but he, you know, still a level up for him. Uh, new offensive coordinator, new group of receivers who are, you know, not, not as experienced. And uh, given all of that in the first game where, you know, as you can imagine, the, the head coaches aren't trying to really open up the playbook, um, he did all right. And, and it, there are much worse performances. You know, think about David Pindle's opening performance where he lost the starting job to Brian Sheriffs because, um, you know, he was too shaky against Holy Cross in that first game. So, um, you know, you don't, you don't always make the transition that smoothly and uh, hopefully nowhere to go but up from here, at least in terms of, you know, his overall performance and, and what we see from him. I think it's really helpful that the O-line looks, looks good. Um, you know, the fact that, again, understanding that it's an FCS Wagner team that is going to be smaller than everyone else UConn faces this year besides Navy, um, it's still really promising to see them, them push around a defensive line like that. We really haven't seen a UConn offensive line do that since the last Randy Edsel era, really. The fact that just solid O-line, really talented set of running backs uh, will, will bode well for him. I will say he does kind of remind me of, of just generically every post. He has kind of some of the traits of every post-Orlovsky-Edsel-era quarterback uh, from, from the first Edsel era. You know, like kind of, you know, kind of mobile uh, definitely can't throw deep with a lot of accuracy. Connolly, you said you said twenty yards. I don't know if he threw. I don't know if he threw anything longer than ten years, ten yards in the air with with a lot of accuracy. Um, so it just kind of reminds me of that that uh, you know big lumbering dude kind of QB that UConn had from like oh five to oh nine really consistently. So you know it's always good. You get the block C. You get a fan, you get an old looking quarterback. Reminds you of the past. And uh, on the plus side, uh, excited by what we saw from the running backs. What about uh, just impressions of what Art Tompkins can bring to the offense? Yeah, I was – well, when he committed, I was excited about him because, I mean, I think I watched like 30 seconds of his highlight tape and he's just breaking dudes' ankles with these jump cuts that are just like stop on a dime and explode in another direction – but then from camp, from what I was reading and seeing on Twitter, it didn't seem like he was really getting a lot of press and a lot of attention, which you'd think in practice some, uh, someone with his abilities would be standing out. So I was, I guess, pleasantly surprised with his performance. But, I mean, he's going to be just a monster this year, I think. The offensive line is great, but I think you could put him in a backfield with five receivers blocking and he'd still manage to pick up five yards on any given run just with his shiftiness and his quickness. I mean, they threw one screen out to him and he ran through like three different defenders that just looked like they were grabbing at thin air. So I think that's going to be something that they really need to do a lot is those screens out to him. It was like third and 15 situations where you don't really want to throw it and turn it over do a draw, just give it to him and see what he can do. I mean, I feel like we haven't, he, he seems like what 
we always hoped Arkell Newsom could be, but the coaches were never able to actually turn Arkell Newsom in into. He feels like like almost like justice for Arkell Newsom that we have him as just a completely finished product coming in as a grad transfer. Yeah, I, I really like him, Dan. I think uh, I was a little surprised at how much they used him kind of in between the Jackals too. Um, they kind of, he kind of split carries with Mensa at some points on that, but he was able to pick up some yards. He's definitely a small guy, um, you know, maybe a little worried about his durability, but he's got the speed and the quickness to kind of dodge some of those big hits. Uh, I, I really liked what he, what he showed against Wagner. And I think he's going to be a big part of the offense. I, I really like his game. And I think he's a good fit, especially with, like you said, Bodri not necessarily being a deep ball threat, having somebody you can dump the ball off to on, you know, third and five, third and six, and have him make one guy miss and, and get a first down. That's a, that's a huge, huge advantage for UConn that they didn't necessarily have last year. So looking ahead at the schedule, uh, week two on Saturday, uh, UConn is going to tip off uh, against Illinois at 3.30 p.m. They will be uh, two-score underdogs, depending on uh, about 17, 17 and a half points, depending on who you get your information from. Uh, the Huskies will be hosting Illinois. Uh, the Fighting Illini are coming off of a... 42 to 3 stomping of Akron uh, of the Mac. So, pretty, pretty great opening to the season for them heading into this trip to UConn. Uh, how do we feel about this potential matchup and UConn's potential ability to, to pull off the upset? I mean, in terms of a non-conference Power 5 opponent with the state UConn's in, I think I feel better than I would generally. Akron was 121 in SP Plus rankings uh, before week one. So they were also a pretty weak team. And after I saw that, I think I felt a little worse about UConn's chances. But then I saw today that Ac- or that L- Illinois hasn't, won a road non-conference game since 2007. I mean, that's a really long time. And you have to think that there are some bad teams mixed in there. So I think with Lovey Smith being a head coach, that's going to be a well-coached football team. Ultimately, I still think they're pretty comfortably better than UConn, but it's also just going to be a really good showcase of how much improvement there's been from last year. Cause obviously there's only so much you can judge off an FCS game. If there's going to be any signs of improvement in the defense, it's going to take getting some stops on Illinois. It's going to be the offense consistently moving the ball. I think a big part of the season is just kind of throwing out the results and the scores and just kind of strictly watching how the team is playing. And I think if you did that against Wagner, you saw that it was kind of just the mistakes that killed UConn. It was the pick six, it was the 50-yard run, and then a couple big missed sacks and penalties on that third score and drive for Wagner. If UConn can eliminate those mistakes, I think they can keep it close, and then if they can force Illinois into some mistakes of their own, that's when I think the upset could come in. But 
really, I think I'd just be happy seeing more progress with the defense, a functional offense, and keeping the score respectable and under 40 points. Yeah, I think Illinois wins this game, but this is the first, you know, true litmus test for this new defense, right? So we should be able to have a much better idea of what we're going to expect for the rest of the season after they take on Illinois, who, you know, has already shown this year that they can put up points against poor FBS opponents. So um, it'll be interesting. I, I do think both sides of the ball are going to be a little bit more consistent just because there's more experience on both sides. Um, not necessarily a quarterback with Beaudry, but uh, there's a lot of grad transfers that are starting and making plays on defense. And, you know, between guys like Tonkins on offense, uh, there should be enough to kind of keep things together. I think that consistency is going to make a big difference as well. But uh, I'm not sure about the spread. I, I think UConn has a chance for, you know, a, a backdoor cover maybe. But um, it'll be interesting to see how they react to an offense that's going to come out hot and, you know, try and put up a big number early and kind of hold on, I think, because like you said, Dan, Illinois has really struggled on the road for the past five, six, seven years. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't know if there's been a team like UConn's team to come up to be on that schedule for that, uh, to help them out with that win streak. But um, I mean, Illinois, their defense was not very good last year. And so going into the season, there was some hope, there's some hope of maybe, um, you know, maybe that is something that UConn can take advantage of. But they held, they held Akron to something like 30, 38 rushing yards. Sorry, 64 rushing yards on 38 attempts. So 1.7 yards per rush. Uh, that's going to be obviously uh, what UConn's going up against. They return everyone or almost everyone from their front seven last year. And it looks like so far that has paid off uh, somewhat solidly for them. Uh, they do have a running back that is now out for the season, but uh, as you mentioned, they still have a they still have a good uh, good group offensively to work with. They, their quarterback Brandon Peters threw three touchdowns on just twenty three attempts. Um, uh, Mike Epstein, I believe, was the running back who's now out. He was their leading rusher, but they had two other running backs uh, see significant. They had they had a bunch of guys get carries actually. Uh, in that opener. So um, I think it'd be incredible if, if UConn covered. And I think if we're just talking about where expectations are with this team, um, uh, it's, yeah, hopefully this is not a, what they did to Akron, right? Hopefully what they did to Akron, UConn is able to avoid. That's pretty much, uh, you know, again, what I would say is the goal given everything we experienced last year. Um, I think that's kind of the thing that when you, when you think about there were UConn fans out there kind of criticizing this, this opening week performance, and certainly there is a lot to criticize. They were not very creative offensively. Uh, the, there was a lot of sloppy play still. The defense did kind of uh, lose its composure a little towards the end, and uh, obviously, UConn was kind of lucky to come up with that penalty on fourth and four, I believe, to uh, to get for Kevin Mensa to get that first down. So, um, you know, there's there's plenty to criticize about the performance, but I think at the same time, don't forget that last year they gave up they gave up 38 or more points to everybody but UMass, and they gave up 49 or more points to everybody besides. 
USF and UMass. So uh, if if they can uh, just be slightly competitive in this game, that's that's going to be a, a good sign of progress for UConn. And um, yeah, Illinois in this in this grand scheme of Power Five teams, not not the scariest one, but uh, still a pretty sizable advantage over UConn. Yeah, and Aman, I think another thing too. I don't know if this is exactly the case. I haven't had a chance to, you know, compare the stats year to year, but it seems like this offense uh, seems to be a little bit slower pace wise than it was under Brett Lashley two years ago, and then John Dunn last year. Um, that might help the defense at least from a just putting up crazy numbers against the UConn defense perspective. Um, it's a lot harder for the team to score the other teams to score points, and they don't have the ball, right? So. Um, even if UConn's time of possession is going to go up a little bit and, you know, we'll have to see if that's going to be an actual trend or not, or just part of the game plan against Wagner. But uh, that might be something that kind of helps them in their favor too. Uh, But Hey, whatever it takes to kind of (laughs) get improvements on the defensive end and, you know, give UConn a shot to win those games because UConn as good as, you know, as decent as the offense was last year, like you said, was not going to be able to score 49, 50, 56 points. Uh, game in and came out and have a chance to win just wasn't going to happen yeah I mean I think it it really just comes down to um, again looking at this season you know you got to just be you got to just look for signs of progress and and hang on to them and uh, know that it's a young team that will be able to return all or most of these pieces for a 2020 that maybe we can uh, have some higher expectations for Moving on from the football team, or I guess staying a little bit uh, adjacent to the football team, uh, the NFL just made its final roster cuts uh, after week wrapping up week four of preseason. Uh, week one action will start this Thursday, and there are nine former UConn Huskies on NFL rosters. Um, I mean, there's a lot. A lot of interesting stuff to highlight, uh, and and um, you know guys who are really going to be in key roles. But I'd have to imagine the biggest story would be kind of former Husky Tim Boyle, right? Yeah, I think Tim Boyle represents the post Edsel UConn football era the best. I think he, he threw one touchdown to sixteen interceptions at UConn and. I mean, he didn't look anything remotely close to even a competent college quarterback because UConn killed his confidence. They threw him in the fire as a true freshman in 2013 when he never should have been in there, and it didn't seem like he ever recovered. And then he goes to Western Kentucky, gets his foot in the door with the Packers, and now you're one Aaron Rodgers injury away from him being the third UConn player to ever throw a pass in the NFL. I mean, it's just an absolutely incredible story. I don't think any of us thought that he had any prayer at the NFL when he transferred out after 2016, was it? And the fact that he that, that a team feels comfortable with him potentially having to start games if injuries occur is just absolutely incredible and uh, I don't think anyone could have predicted it. Yeah, I don't really have <laughs> anything crazy to add to that, Dan. I think you hit the nail on the head. But, you know, credit to him for, 
you know, dealing with that adversity that he faced at UConn and um, I believe it was Eastern Kentucky and finding his way to get into the pros and, and working with that team under Aaron Rodgers, that whole staff to learn the system and, and, you know, have success during the preseason games. He legitimately outplayed Deshaun Kaiser this preseason. So uh, he earned that job fair and square and, uh, you know, more credit to him. And, you know, he doesn't seem to be too fond of his time at UConn, understandably, but uh, it's definitely great to have him representing UConn at the game's highest level. Hang on. I'm trying, I'm trying to find Tim Boyle's Eastern Kentucky stats because I know, I mean, I know he did not even do particularly great there, just to speak. He wasn't even the starter, I don't believe, at Eastern Kentucky. I think there was a, a Matty Mock sighting uh, at some point in time at Eastern <laughs> Kentucky, which is an incredible thing to think about. Yeah. No, so, yeah, I think he was on the – he had a he had a bit of a timeshare going on um, at some point. And then, yeah, his numbers there, one season – or, sorry, in 2017, he had – 2,100 yards, 11 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. And then I think, yeah, the next year he was um, – he lost – he did not – was not the starter. Uh, and then, you know, his time at UConn, beyond also his, you know, the, the being kind of thrown out to the wolves as a true freshman, I think definitely have to bring up just the fact that his prime was – you know, his prime as a football player was when Bob Diaco and the one of the most grossly mismanaged college football offenses of all time was uh, the backdrop of of his uh, upperclassmen years at UConn. So that definitely plays, uh, I think, some some ro- some of a, a bit of a role as well um, when thinking about just all of the the how could someone like this end up being the backup quarterback for the Packers uh, was just mismanaged by the, the Diaco regime in 2014 and, and 2015. He, he, he transferred in uh, 2016 and then, yeah, one year at, at Eastern Kentucky. Like legitimately, is there another player that you could look at that like played significant snaps either at UConn or elsewhere that would be like yeah him he has less of a chance of doing anything at the next level than you would have thought of Tim Boyle considering like how difficult of a position quarterback is in general I mean right yeah no no, I mean it's incredibly impressive like like Madigan said just that he beat out Deshaun Kaiser you know in a in an open contest for that job and so obviously he did something you know, worked really, really hard in in that latter stage of of his career to to get to that point. Because obviously, Deshaun Kaiser, that was not the case in college. So, um, obviously, there are some differences between the NFL game and the college game. But but still, you know, there's no um, there's really not even like a ton of precedent for this in the NFL. I'm not an expert on pro football rosters, but I feel like there's really aren't a lot of guys with this kind of resume, Tim Boyle's kind of resume where, you know, not even putting up big numbers at an FCS school uh, to end up, to end up with a job, uh, you know, again, a a backup, a a primary backup job. Maybe like Matt Castle who didn't start a game in college and still got drafted. But like, that's the only thing one I can think of. 
Yeah, and that was USC. And- yeah, exactly. A backup at USC is significantly different than being a mediocre quarterback at Eastern Kentucky. Right. Yeah, but it kind of makes sense, Amon. Like, if you think, I mean, it's a lot of the same things that made him a big target for UConn and, and BC in, you know, years ago when he was being recruited, right? Like, prototypical size, big arm, uh, all that stuff. Great hands. I know that's something that you always like to mention about Tim Boyle. Um, Great country. Right. So, I mean, just one of those things where it does make sense where someone like him, like the physical tools are there um, or, you know, people have always thought that the tools are there and it's just a matter of him having some stability and a competent offensive coach to kind of put it together. So it seems like he's gotten that in Green Bay and, uh, you know, more power to him. Absolutely. So just to just to run through them, other guys, pretty notable, you know, people to make rosters, Jeremy Davis, wide receiver on the LA Chargers, Foley Fatukasi, uh, making it for the, the Jets. Uh, he will be teammates with former Husky Ryan Griffin, who was formerly on the Houston Texans. Nothing else to say about that. Uh, Byron Jones on the Cowboys, former first round pick going into a contract year for the Cowboys. Uh, Obi Melifanu, I know you guys want to talk about Obi Melifanu making the <laughs> Patriots, right? That's 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 great. That's amazing. That's really amazing because, yeah, I've never hit my Patriots fandom, but they've got just an unbelievable secondary this year. They've got, I mean, their cornerback group, like anyone in that group could be the number two corner or even the number one corner on pretty much 31 other NFL teams. They've got three really, really good safeties that are all critical pieces. They signed a really solid safety in free agency. Just as a Patriots fan, I was looking at the roster before roster cuts going through, like just kind of projecting out a 53 in my head. And I just, I couldn't figure out a way to keep Obi on the team and they did. So I think it's just really incredible that he made the team yeah, I mean, he he didn't necessarily produce uh, out in Oakland, but um, I think it's one of those things where the physical tools are there. He's a smart player. Uh, it kind of seems like a no-brainer for the Patriots to kind of take a flyer on him. And, you know, things can change really quickly in the NFL, especially even with the defense where a lot of people are really high on, like the Patriots. Uh, between injuries or any anything else, things can change on a dime. So I think it's just a good insurance policy for that team. And uh, hopefully he can get healthy, like you said, Dan, and uh, try to make an impact for the second half of the season. That's the case. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, it's uh, as a non-Patriots fan, go Bills. Uh, there are, you know, you just got to be excited for Obi to be able to be on such a good team. He played in the Super Bowl last year. Like that's, you know, uh, obviously really great for for UConn and the brand as well. So. Uh, also good for the brand, Anthony Sherman, an all-pro fullback on the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Blitty Ray Wilson on uh, Atlanta uh, going into his seventh season in the NFL. And then Shamar Steven, who has uh, returned to the Minnesota Vikings where he started his career and who he was drafted by uh, coming out of UConn. So uh, those are the UConn guys in the NFL. Pretty solid group. And then some guys who, who were cut as well, um, just running through some names. So uh, Andrew Adams, Jamar Summers, Nick Williams, Ryan Crozier. 
could see those guys end up ending up in uh, the CFL or maybe even the XFL, which is going to be launching like next February. So uh, something to keep an eye on. Yeah. And just one other uh, thing I'd want to add is that uh, since Griffin's a tight end on the Jets, he's going to be coached by John Dunn, the former UConn offensive coordinator. So I thought that was an interesting little nugget there. Fun. Yeah. John Dunn. We hardly knew you, but uh, supposedly future UConn head coach, John Dunn. You've been reading the boneyard a little bit, Connolly. That was in a current article. Oh man. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean from the coach in waiting? Yes. Yes. That's right. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. I thought you meant it's still part of the plan and now he's on the no. Getting no, 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 pro no. experience to come back. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I think that, uh, yeah, he definitely was for, former future UConn head coach before deciding nah on that. <laughs> Understandably so. Uh, elsewhere, just in the world of Husky sports, we have some good news on the MLB roster wire. Uh, Madigan, do you want to give us the good news? Yeah, so it seems like Anthony Kay, who was a stud for UConn, one of the one of the long line of left-handed aces for that program, uh, got traded to the Blue Jays from the Mets as part of the Marcus Stroman train around the deadline. Uh, he's going to make his major league debut this week. Should be called up to the Blue Jays as part of you know the September call up as rosters expand uh, to 40 people. So. Uh, based on his schedule, he pitched on Sunday, uh, did not do well. Probably one of his only bad starts uh, since joining the Blue Jays at AAA in Buffalo. He gave up nine runs in just under three innings. But um, he should make his major league debut either Thursday or Friday. There was another pitcher that got called up as well. Uh, my guess is that Kay will throw on Friday. As of right now, it hasn't been confirmed by the Blue Jays, but I think that's just because there needs to be some roster moves to get Kay and the other person who's being called up, TJ Zoik, uh, on the on the 40-man roster. So pretty cool. Always exciting to see another Husky player in the bigs. Uh, Kay's going to take on the Rays in his debut, um, but it should be fun to see him alongside, you know, guys like Nick Ahmed, who's having a great year, George Springer, who has a good chance of, you know, breaking the record for career home runs by a UConn alum uh, this season if he continues to keep things up, and Matt Barnes. So. Uh, as well as Scott Oberg. So pretty exciting to have another pitcher join that rank. Uh, and it's just good to see, good for recruiting for, for Jim Penders, especially with a new stadium coming up. So uh, very exciting going around. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I know we've got a real strong contingent in, in the majors and uh, hopefully it's uh, something that with the program uh, getting the new stadium, continuing to shine in the majors, UConn keeps, keeps rising, but, uh, and definitely a, a number of other guys who are, who are on the cusp as well, I think, of promotions and stuff across the minor leagues. So uh, been a good season for Huskies in the majors. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a, a very good chance that a year from now um, or earlier, we'll hear that Jacob Wallace is on his way up to you know the Rockies org. Tim Kate could be working his way up with the Nationals at this time. Um, some other things I've heard is, you know, Max McDowell, widely regarded as, you know, one of, not necessarily one of the better hitters in the minors, but uh, widely regarded as one of the best receivers uh, behind the plate in all of minor league baseball. So it would be interesting to kind of track those guys' paths as, you know, their careers progress, but uh, should be a steady stream of UConn players in the bigs for at least the next few years. 
That's going to do it for us this week with the UConn pod. Uh, thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next time.